Hello and welcome to e-commerce uncovered. I'm your host Matt Lady. Each and every week I get to talk with and learn from enthusiastic guests, freelancers, agency folks, in-house marketers and founders, all in an effort to help you bootstrap your D2C brand profitably. We got two episodes a week which will have you staying up to date on the ever-changing industry and learning fundamental concepts and tactics to apply to your brand. Enjoy the show. Today's episode is with someone who has 10 years of experience scaling brands. A mentor at Growth Mentors, former head of growth, current general manager of Cotton. A brand who is focused on timeless designs to honor the people who make them, the places they're made. Please welcome Dan Gray. Thanks for joining me, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great to, uh, great to chat with you and catch up. Yes, sir. Uh, so today we're here to talk about channel expansion and transitioning brands from just B2C to B2B and or even wholesale. So that's uh, oftentimes a big, uh, big undertaking and is often overestimated or I guess underestimated for how big of a lift it can be, especially as a bootstrap founder. So how do we even start to think about this? Like, where do we begin? So starting, I think, is actually an advantage in a lot of cases because oftentimes brands will stumble upon a channel that has signals that propel them in one direction versus the other, right? In most cases, that happens to be Facebook. You start running Facebook ads, things start working really well, and then you got to keep dipping coins into the machine and, um, you know, eventually become addicted. So for brands that are starting out or trying to figure out how to go about scaling a channel and um, maybe their success criteria isn't just you know, sales, but there's also profitability tied to that. There might be channels that require a little bit more discipline testing in order to unlock and sort of become their initial channel that they scale off of and, and find that channel market fit. Um, so the place that I, I typically suggest brands start, whether they're, they're brand new or, um, you know, they have customers is start by talking to the customer. So I spend a lot of time upfront, but also when I'm trying to validate uh, a thought or, or gain more insight is, talking to customers who have successfully purchased and trying to understand the entirety of the customer journey. Um, and you want to understand the customer journey well before your brand even becomes a player in that journey, right? Because pretty much in every buyer journey, there is a trigger. There are motivators that come into place. There's, there's friction you come upon. Um, so talk to those people and then talk to people who didn't end up converting. So um, you're going to have people that subscribe to your newsletter or they, um, they, they have a cart and then they don't end up checking out. Talk to those people just as much as the ones who are successful so that you can eliminate that friction. And so you might think, okay, like where do channels come into that? That just sounds like you're doing conversion rate optimization. But the thing is, those points of discovery that led them to your brand, those are often the channels that you want to spend more time thinking about. So it could be articles on a site. It could be specific influencers. Um, it could be social media that they're using. It could be friends and family. You almost want to reverse engineer that entire process and insert your brand into that earlier to uncover a channel that you can grow off of. Hmm. Okay. So uh, first things first is talk to your customers, validate an idea. Don't just like, ah, I've been working on Facebook. Let's just do TikTok just because that's what Twitter is telling me that that's the next big channel. Uh, so talk to your customers and there's, you know, there's different ways to do that, right? Um, there might be post-purchase surveys. There might be actual one-on-one -on -one conversations with them. How, how would you go about asking, like, and actually communicating with these people to get, like, and what are what questions are you asking? What are you figuring out in those conversations to be able to validate or kind of get the next step for expanding channels? 
For sure. So um, in terms of recruiting for, for research, um, if you have an active customer base, just incentivizing them with a gift card to speak to you is a great way to do it. Um, it's a lot less costly to you because you're giving a gift card. So you're really only incurring the cost of that product, right? You're eating the margin on that. Um, so that's a really cost-effective way to go about recruiting people for user research. If you don't have an active customer base, there's really great sites like Respondent or UserTesting.com. Uh, you can actually go and in, in staff research studies on there and talk to people that are um, in your industry or they're in the category that you're looking for, or that maybe they purchased from a competitor of yours. There's some really, really slick tools out there to help you staff that. And so once you have those people you're talking to, and I think your example of like, you know, going and doing TikTok as everyone's there, like, I think TikTok's an amazing channel and it actually works terrifically for a lot of brands. And oftentimes, like we have these first principle hypotheses that our brand is going to work on there. And they, they are correct a lot of the time, but go and validate that, right? So it, like in that process that I was talking to you about where you're talking to um, people that have successfully purchased from you or they're abandoned cart, um, cart abandoners, you want to ask them about that journey and something like TikTok will come up a lot, right? Because like we're in the apparel category. Someone might say to you, Hey, like I was watching this TikTok video and someone was wearing a black t-shirt and I was like, Oh damn, I got to go and find a black t-shirt. Right. Or like in our case as well, we play in the sustainability and ethics space. Maybe someone saw a TikTok video about, um, the benefits of, of purchasing ethically and sustainably. And so they went on this whole rabbit hole of, uh, of Googling, okay, ethical suppliers. And that's how they came upon cotton. So, in that interview, you just discover two channels, right? You discover TikTok as a trigger for purchasing ethically and sustainably. Then you also discovered publications and affiliates as a way to sort of build content that um, that includes you as as a player in that market. So that, that's what I mean. And so when you're conducting those interviews, you want to try and avoid asking questions that are really on the nose. Um, I like to sort of have the customer tell me stories because I'm not asking them speculative questions. I want them to actually walk me through what the customer journey was that got them there. So if I'm interviewing you, Matt, and I want to understand how you ended up purchasing from Cotton, the first question that I might ask you is like, tell me when you first realized that you needed a new hoodie. And so they're going to start and maybe they go a month back, maybe they go a week back. And sometimes you got to work with the people you're interviewing to, you know, <laughs> help them jog their memory. Um, but just trying to build out a timeline of that purchase and get as much detail at each point in time, um, you're going to get some really, really interesting things. And hopefully you repeat this process with, with like five to 10 people in each of those buckets. And eventually you can spot trends because you, you never want to make assumptions based off of one interview. The sample size is too low. But if you're interviewing five to 10 people and three of them are saying that they're discovering you or, or you know, ethical consumption on TikTok, like, yes, go build TikTok. You've just gotten permission from your customer. Your hypothesis was correct. Congratulations. Cool. Okay. So less about uh, how did you first hear about us? Why did you buy from us? Um, those direct questions can kind of lead us astray. And um, so more asking about the story the, and the experience of why. So you kind of get their um, hypothesis validated. You get like you get permission to kind of go into that other channel. So um, is there a different step between expanding uh, marketing channels versus sales channels? Because uh, TikTok isn't, you know, you're, you're still selling direct to consumer. You're still probably going, point, trying to point traffic to your Shopify site. And it's just another marketing channel versus how do we differentiate marketing channels like that versus sales channels with, of selling business to business or to wholesale uh, opportunities? Like, let's dive into that a little bit more now. 
Yeah, so sales channels is a little bit different. Um, truthfully, you know, customers aren't going to give you that information necessarily. What you may discover, though, is if someone didn't purchase from you and they ended up buying consistently from a retailer uh, that's in their neighborhood or they end up buying from Amazon, like those are signals that you could potentially use to justify looking at Amazon as a sales channel or investing in your own brick and mortar or going into um, into large retail uh, shops. So you can gather that from from customers. But I think when it comes to sales expansion, it really has to make sense for your business. Like there has to be logic and strategy behind that. So for cotton, I mean, we have, I think, five stores to date. Um, still growing. Those are our own brick and mortar retail. Uh, and we run our own B2B wholesale business where we uh, allow people to tap into our supply chain and create customer apparel on their own. Like those logically make sense for us. So on the, the B2B wholesale side, I mean, our value proposition as a business is we have one of the world's most, most ethical and sustainable supply chains. We, we manufacture from farm to hangar. It makes too much sense to lease out that supply chain and allow others to create ethically, right? because it benefits the world, it benefits the company that's manufacturing, it benefits the end cons consumer, benefits us because we, we grow sales. So like, that's a no brainer. So if there's someone out there that's like really tapped into something where their value proposition is tied to manufacturing and supply chain, wholesale is an awesome channel. Like that's something that is such a low investment and easy to do. If you have really good manufacturing partners that if you can create something in bulk that you can then, um, create on mass for a, a B2B type customer, it, it's an incredibly logical channel to go into. And like I said, there's, there's very little overhead if you're already manufacturing because you're just taking the same process and helping others build through that. Um, so that's how I would look at wholesale. On the brick and mortar side, that's much more of a, a capital intensive investment. Uh, and it's not for me to tell anyone to go and do that. You know, it, it definitely um, is based on how you're capitalized as a business. Right. Do you even have the money to go and do something like that? Um, where it makes a lot of sense, though, is if you have high density in specific geos and you're a brand that requires a lot of discovery in person. Uh, so for cotton, I think for us where it's logical is one, we started with brick and mortar really early on. Uh, we built our first store in Toronto where our headquarters is based out of and the team used to work out of the store uh, with an office upstairs. So it just naturally yeah. was a channel that we, we started building off. of. Um, but what made a lot of sense is. Um, there's just not a, as high of a propensity of, of retail organizations that are based out of Toronto. So having a store in our city that people were learning about, it allowed us to get uh, much deeper and, and much more ingrained in the, in the Toronto community and, and get that presence that made that store um, what it is today. And so as we look to expansion to, to other cities, we're really looking at where are our customers, right? We're, we're mining through e-com data. We're trying to see, okay, which cities do our customers exist in? Where would it make sense for us to be, um, for us to engage with them in person? And then the second thing I would add is we sell Egyptian cotton clothing. And if you look at one of our t-shirts, unfortunately, I'm not wearing one of our t-shirts, I'm wearing a Levi's shirt. Uh, but if you, if you look at one of our t-shirts, there's nothing visually that's dissimilar from an Egyptian cotton t-shirt to a 100% organic cotton t-shirt to a synthetic t-shirt, right? They all just look like white t-shirts. So having a store and allowing people to feel the difference of like how rich uh, 100% Egyptian cotton actually feels, um, that, that tactile relationship and that experience is something that we can only, um, we can only control by having a store. So it's, it's a very, very natural sales channel for us, given what we're selling. 
so it, it, it kind of does uh, the classic it depends kind of thing, yeah. but you kind of broke down some examples of why and how you could kind of sort through for your brand when it would make sense. Uh, there's there's definitely a want to do this sort of thing and also a, a need and kind of balancing those two things. Um, so if you were kind of to try to tell or advise a brand or someone hired you for a session on growth mentors of like, Oh, I want to look, I want to expand my channel, uh, sales channels. Uh, is it, what is it a certain amount of revenue? Is it a certain amount of time? Is it like, what's the opportunity or kind of trigger, um, to look to expand or then figuring out how to plan on expanding? I would start by looking at, at the boring stuff, like the financials and the actual business health, because the truth is like, there's, there's no reason that e-com is better than retail and, and, you know, physical retail is better than e-com. It's just a matter of what makes most sense for your business, because the whole value proposition of e-commerce that we've all been sort of flocking towards for the last 10 to 15 years is it's this idea of acquiring the customer yourself. Um, and owning that customer relationship and then being able to essentially monetize them over a longer period of time through increasing lifetime value. Now, what's starting to happen in e-commerce is that acquisition cost is skyrocketing, right? It's becoming much, much less profitable to acquire that customer due to the fact that all of the channels that we used to acquire that customer from are, are going up and it's only going to continue to go up. So the question then becomes for a business, well, if you take a step back, is it actually more profitable to acquire that customer ourselves? Or do we want to go into Target, let Target deal with actually acquiring that customer? We obviously take a lower margin on it because we have to sell it to Target at a wholesale price, but they deal with the all of the marketing costs associated with getting your product on the shelf there. So really it is an economic problem. It's, it's much more about what is actually sustainable for a business. Like the, the D2C e-com model is awesome, but it doesn't work for a lot of brands, right? Like some brands just have very small AOVs. Um, some brands just, just aren't able to acquire customers on their own, right? In Cotton's case, like that actual physical tactile thing, if we didn't have the scale to open our own stores, like we would probably need to rely more on third-party retail uh, to generate those experiences for us. So really being honest about, okay, like what are our margins? What are our costs? What's actually making up the majority of, uh, of our profitability? I think that'll lead you to some of these decisions. Again, the wholesale one, that's more based on like leaning into your strengths. The, there's, again, just beating a dead horse. There really isn't a downside to wholesale unless you just can't facilitate it. Um, but on the retail and physical retail side of things, um, I think there's a nice balance there that you can find if, if it shows up on your balance sheet that it, it, it can actually work. Sure. Okay. Okay. Got it. So uh, on wholesale, there isn't really a downside is, is what you just said. So my understanding is that you have... You have the supply chain, you have your manufacturing, you have your, uh, your, your picking and packing and whether that's your own internal, uh, warehouse or you have a three PL, but you have this process already kind of set up and you're just selling, say you're selling deodorant and instead of one at a time through Shopify, you're selling a hundred, you're selling a thousand packs of deodorant right. to another brand or to a retailer through wholesale. And so the benefit of wholesale is that you just, just in quotes, you get one big customer instead of a hundred or a thousand individual customers. And you're able to kind of get that all that at once. You kind of save on costs in terms of the acquisition cost. 
you're probably giving them a discount at a because it's a bulk buy, so you're sure. losing some margin that way. But it's kind of just cash. Like it's not like you're going out and doing anything too differently, right? So is is that kind of the basics of wholesale, or what else would like you want to add on to that? Yeah. So I think the only thing I'd, I'd really just adjust in that in that example is um, you need to you need to have something that's proprietarily interesting, right? So like in that in that example, like yes, anyone who's making deodorant can go and sell in bulk. Um, but the question is like, why would I buy from you in bulk, or why does it make sense for this company to be to be selling wholesale? And so like taking a step back, like if you are a world-class manufacturer of deodorant and you've managed to like, you know, create this proprietary technology and your product is infinitely better and um, you've managed to get your costs down by doing X, Y, and Z at the factory level, then it makes a ton of sense to go wholesale, right? Because you can sell private label. You can, you can show up um, through other companies and sell your product that way. Like that just diversifies your channel mix. And the really cool thing for us and, and for brands that are selling wholesale is the marketing cost can be quite low because if the customer is discovering you through your B2C e-com retail channel, they're they're likely, in, in our case at least, because we're selling swag and merch and we have a lot of people that work at really cool companies and agencies, they are pleasantly surprised to hear that, sell, that Cotton sells wholesale and swag and merch. They come to us and go, oh, like, I love Cotton's product. I want to get my company um, to have uniforms like for us, there's no incremental acquisition cost there because that customer was discovered and acquired through our consumer business. We just need to do the work to, to sort of um, have them across multiple business lines. So that, that's where it gets really interesting is um, you can find that synergy across the two. Yeah, no, that's that's deep. That's cool. That uh, That's where the like lowered marketing cost comes in because you, you've already maybe acquired them. They're already aware of you. Uh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So thanks for uh, adding on and adjusting that there. Yeah, no. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so then we, um, I'm a bootstrap founder, like in this ex- ex- scenario with my deodorant or whatever. Like I have only so much time or money or skill <laughs> to be able to kind of do this. So if you were to like be advising me on this, would it be, oh, I want to go, I've been doing D2C, I've been going through Shopify for a while now. I'm at a million dollars in revenue. Like what, what are the sp- more specific things you would want to ask me or have me consider if I want to go more to B2B, my own physical retail or to host wholesale? Like kind of continuing on that example with that yeah, like, so caveat in mind. Yeah. I'd probably start with third-party retail. Um, like given, you know, deodorant and sort of that entire category sits really nicely on, um, pharmacy shelves or, you know, boutique stores, it's a really nice way to test if you can actually sell through a product in, in sort of a smaller retail setting before making that big investment into a, a long-term lease or, um, you know, trying to go to a big box retailer and get them to stock your product. That's a pretty low stakes test that you can probably do locally as well, um, near your, your 3PL. Uh, just to try and dip your toes in the water and see, okay, like what is my sell through there? What is the profitability numbers on that versus selling through e-com uh, before making a larger investment in it? Just like, again, find one or two stores, test it out, time box it, commit X amount of inventory to it. That inventory doesn't sell, negotiate the terms um, of how long you want to stock it there. 
doesn't work out, it just ends up back in your 3PL and, and you go and sell it through D2C again, right? It, it, it's a pretty low, uh, low stakes test to run uh, in order for you to go and validate that. So depending on the results of that, you might get signals that, hey, there's a ton of demand for my product in the city. Uh, maybe I do want to go invest in, in a store. Or maybe I want to do a longer test or approach like a, a Whole Foods or, or some larger retailer where it makes a ton of sense for my product to show up. That's when you can start to do that. The challenge with going to big box retail is um, often the, the contract stipulations and um, the inventory commitment you need to make and the time horizon you need to manufacture in, they're not feasible for brands of that size, right? Like your production cycle might be like, might take you a year to, to produce like any sort of new SKU or um, create a new product. And these retailers might want you to be planning two years out, for instance, uh, or they want you to commit to X amount of inventory when um, that's just not feasible for your business. So making sure that, you know, have those conversations early, understand what that looks like, um, but be prepared to have to grow a little bit on your own. And I think that's where a lot of folks tend to use uh, D2C and e-com as like a jumping off point is it, right. uh, it justifies that inventory buy down the road because they've hit sort of a critical mass where buying and putting that much capital in inventory isn't as scary because they have a business um, that's that's actively running. So it, it does mitigate some of that risk. It also benefits you in that like you can go to a target and say, hey, like we're a growing brand that people know about. It gives you a little bit more buying power at retail because you're not just sort of like a small brand that's that's totally off their radar and you're trying to get in there um, because those negotiations will eat your margin pretty quickly. Uh, and so having some sort of buying power and in, in, in name recognition does help. Right. So again, the, the, the trade-off with um, going into third-party retail, wholesale, these sort of things is the, you're trading the, the customer acquisition cost of the Zucks bucks and paying Google tax and uh, all this stuff is the trade-off with margin for these uh, stores or Target or the right. So what is the, do you have a general like guideline or sense of your experience of what that where you, like that cost of like where your margin goes from normally and what it goes down to when you're selling through um, other stores like that? Yeah, hard to say specifically, but you're probably looking at like a 50% reduction in, in what you're going to be making on it from a margin standpoint. Um, and so again, like we were talking about, like you really want to model out what success looks like in both scenarios. And it's not a one or the other in a lot of cases. It's how do we balance both with the capital we have? That's the tough part about retail businesses, right? Is they're so capital intensive because you're buying inventory up front that you have to make these decisions um, with eyes wide open and really evaluate which ones you want to do because that that is the biggest challenge. Sure, there's a time constraint involved, but capital is, is very, very crucial to making these decisions. So um, if you're a brand that is really well capitalized, maybe you have outside investments, maybe you're... Um, you have a loan that, that you're working off of, maybe you can afford to acquire a customer through D2C at a loss and in hopes of making a profit in three to six months as your payback, right? Some brands don't have the luxury of that. Some are not capitalized that well, and maybe they are bootstrapped and they're using friends and family's money and they don't feel comfortable making that three to six month bet that the customer's going to be profitable. Well, you're probably fine with a 50% reduction in margin if you don't have to pay that CAC up front mm -hmm. to acquire that customer and get on someone else's shelf. Yes, you're going to be making less per unit, but your profit per unit is probably going to be higher. So it's, it is a trade-off of the two. Like I can't, I can't give someone a direction no. on that because so much of what 
I think growth folks don't think about is the capitalization strategy of a business, how they're funded, how much money they have is so influential in how companies make money or how they spend money or how they make decisions. And so that's something that has to be at the forefront of all of these decisions, right? Like you really can't go about it um, just blindly and go with whatever option sexier, because again, the, the cost and the capital necessary to fund inventory for retail businesses is not sexy. And so yeah, you should yeah. not make those decisions uh, with, with that in mind. Cool. Okay. No, that, uh, that makes sense. So, well, you're looking at less uh, overall revenue maybe, but more profit per purchase when you're looking that through that typically. Um, so expect around 50 ish percent, depending on your product and category. Um, and how many, your, your deal, this deal structure, how many stores, all that stuff. So, uh, say I got some success. I got into, I, I did the test. We, it, it worked. Um, I want to do more of it. And so I want to expand this out and I think it could work. I just don't have the time as a bootstrap founder to facilitate talking to a hundred more boutiques or a hundred more small pop, mom and pop shops or, uh, small chains, right? So is there some sort of role or person or service or like agency or contract or freelancer? Like, is there a type of role for like this sort of thing that you can hire out and get help with? For sure. Yeah. So if it works, <laughs> congratulations. Like you're now a B2B salesperson. That's the reality, right? Like your job has changed so much. And this is the transition I've been going through in the last year or two is like B2C growth and B2B growth are, are so different and so similar in a lot of ways. Like when I'm running Facebook ads, I am talking to a lot of people and I'm trying to sell them on our product, but I don't get to actually meet with them face to face and I don't get to tailor my message directly to them one-to-one. B2B sales, same approach, right? You have a message, you're targeting it out to people, but you are doing it on a one-to-one basis. So there are a lot of parallels and similarities, but they also contradict each other in a lot of ways. So if you're a founder that really enjoys that, or you have folks on your team that um, are really comfortable with that, uh, I would say dive head first into it and try and grow it yourself. But it, if not, um, there are a ton of really, really awesome salespeople that get energy from talking to folks um, in this domain. I mean, we're very fortunate. I brought on a director of sales uh, who previously worked at Uber um, and he's got all of this tech sales background and, and he's great with handling customers and, and dealing with these bigger deals. And, and I'm not great at that, right? Like that's not my, my skill set. That's not how I derive energy. Um, so definitely looking to bring on salespeople and, um, and have them work, uh, work the deal flow like that is, is awesome. Um, one of the things that like my transition to B2B has led me to is zooming in on how SaaS companies and tech companies do sales, because, um, for all the knock that the tech's taking right now, um, one thing they do really well is build really successful sales teams and sales organizations. And a lot of talent has been cultivated there. And so for a retailer, um, sure there, there might be a unique set of skills or, uh, relationships that you want to hire for in, in the retail space. Um, but you can also learn a ton from other organizations and industries that rely on um, B2B sales to, to be successful. So it's uh, like literally just hiring sales, a salesperson. And it, it, I thought it was going to be more of this like operations person or like this. Uh, I don't know. It just like, it's, it's that simple. It's just like a salesperson for your brand now, right? Well, that's, that, that's how you derive sales. There's certainly a lot happening in the back end to, uh, to make the magic happen. But um, ideally, if you have the right people in place, like for, for cotton supply or wholesale arm, you know, we even had to invest in any new um, logistics and distribution personnel or 
production personnel because again, wholesale, one of the reasons it makes so much sense for cotton supply and cotton is we're already managing our own supply chain, right? So we're leveraging a lot of the same systems and people in our organization to create the products that you see on cotton.com. We're, we're using those same processes to, to facilitate the products that are available for our customers through cotton supply. So um, when we, we talked about earlier, you know, what are the economies of scale you get from running wholesale? Well, we talked about marketing already. Now we're talking about some of the operational and supply chain uh, economies of scale you get from leveraging the same asset across multiple verticals. Um, so the reason I say sales is likely it doesn't exist in the organization, right? You probably didn't need any sort of B2B sales talent in your org. Um, and so I think if you're looking to propel that and you're finding that working really well, um, that's something that you probably want to bring in house. There are unique hires as well that you'll need to, to bring in, um, depending on how you do facilitate a lot of these things. Um, but that's where I would start. Yeah, uh, it makes sense. It's the one that uh, kind of stands out um, and is already kind of not considered so far. Um, so either hold on to it yourself and keep learning to be a salesman or a woman. And then uh, if not, then that's what you would like to hire. So uh, that that, makes a lot of sense. I would also say like, you know, irrelevant of size and scale. Um, This is something that a CEO is often perfect to, to be the one testing out because they own probably some of the best external relationships in the organization, whether it's from fundraising or meeting other founders or just general networking. Like a lot of times early on, um, the CEO and, and the co-founders are the ones that are going on podcasts and they're gaining visibility related to the brand. Um, have them work their internal network to try and drive sales, have them post on your behalf, go on podcasts, um, contribute to newsletters, write articles. Those are a lot of the activities that as you're trying to test out these channels and get and get early sales adoption, it's really important for, for your team's co-founders to be involved in that process. Because like I said earlier, one of the cool things about B2B is uh, you're face-to-face with your customer. And so when we talked about user interviews earlier on, you don't even need to facilitate user interviews um, as urgently in B2B because a lot of times your sales calls can be user interviews if you facilitate them in the right way. And so for your CEO and your executive team to be um, the ones leading those and involved in those, you gain a lot of intel and, and knowledge uh, internally that is, is very hard to get and uh, it has to be very intentional in a, B2B con- in a B2C context. In a B2B context, that intel uh, very naturally flows into your organization. So then uh, that's really interesting and hadn't really considered that. A thought popped in my head is, is there any, I'm sure there is, but how the cross-channel and cross-vertical learnings, experience data, how do you kind of take those and use them in different scenarios of like, oh, I just had this like B2B order or we're seeing success in this, this way or this new Facebook ad is working like this. Like, is there any like sort of... Uh, synergy across the stuff like that? Or like, is it is it kind of separated out? There is a ton, yeah. So I'll speak to wholesale and, and e-com, but e-com and retail, I mean, they're pretty much the same business, just, just two do- totally different sales channels. But I mean, the synergies there, like from a sales and, and uh, owned retail standpoint, like our, our sales reps at the store are constantly sending feedback to our e-com team that in e-com you're not getting because you don't talk to the customer when they check out. Right. So like if if we have a problem related to fit or customers are um, gravitating towards a specific product or, or color, you know, all that feedback does channel back to the um, to the to the company in, in our headquarters from a wholesale standpoint, tons of synergies as well. So 
a lot of times we're uh, we're selling to companies or say we're doing like a big merch collection for an influencer. Well, an influencer has no insight into like what a size curve looks like for a, a sweatshirt, right? And so yeah. fortunately, because we run a, an apparel company, we have pretty good data on like the average distribution of sizing for unisex men's, women's products. And so we can leverage that to inform the sizing that we're, we're providing to, uh, to that influencer. Same thing with like when we're building our catalog of what products we want to make available for, um, for merchandise and swag, it's like, okay, what colors are we going with? What fits and styles are we going with? All of that insight is coming from our consumer business because every, every six months we're changing seasons, right? We're, we're a seasonal apparel company. You know, we got our spring summer collections and our fall winter collections, and we get to see every six months, okay, what colors are selling, what products are selling through the most, what are our customers absolutely raving about? So those are some of the synergies. Another really cool one for us is like, um, if we see a lot of customers from the same company coming through checkout and they're using their company domain, that's a great signal to us that maybe we should approach that company um, and talk to them about doing merch for them, right? Or like, say we have a ton of folks um, that work for like, I don't know, graphic design agencies. And they're like, there's these really cool artsy type of people. Like that's a vertical that maybe the cotton supply sales team should be approaching about um, doing merch collabs because that industry obviously gravitates towards our product and our fit and our aesthetic and all of that. So um, if you have an organization that's built to sort of communicate, and we're a very lean team, um, Cotton is by no means a, a massive organization, um, your your org should be talking very frequently and passing these things through so that um, you can maximize the leverage of, of all of your business units. Cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, I uh, love those examples you shared about the products and the sizing specifically of like mm -hmm. um, those informing those decisions. So uh, we're, we're, gonna, we're getting ready to land the proverbial podcast plane. Uh, oh, nice. And you have a couple a couple more questions here, a couple more topics, but um, we're recording this uh, December 2nd. And so when this comes out, it'll be a little bit later. So how is it? Is there a certain time of the year that makes more sense for channel expansion or reviewing uh, like end of the year, like, oh, what channels worked and how do we plan for 2023 or, oh, we want we want to get to this revenue amount as a whole brand. Uh, we think we should test out this channel and if we should expect these results. Like, how do we like kind of start to think or how would you advise someone to start to think about things like that? So for marketing channels, to me, there's no time sensitivity to that in terms of like when you should be planning that and not. Um, your growth and marketing team should be constantly thinking about that. Uh, and you should be reevaluating if you actually have channel market fit. I love that term channel market fit or uh, channel product fit. A lot of times companies assume they have it because their product is selling through a channel. But if it's not delivering the results that you want, you don't have it, right? If, if you're losing a ton of money, uh, via channel and like that is detrimental to your growth and success as a business that might help you reach sales milestones, but that's not going to help your business last beyond mm. the next couple of years. So I, I really think that's a diagnosis that you need to be constantly doing um, to evaluate your channel mix and figure out where you should be spending your time. So if you do that and, and truthfully, most, most brands, especially, you know, at the one to $5 million stage, you only need one to two channels working, right? So if you have that working, ignore me like keep doing you scale those channels that's great but if if you're being honest with yourself and you're like these channels are not working then you should be constantly doing this all of your energy should go towards finding channel market fit because if your energy is not going there it means it's going to channels that aren't working 
and that doesn't change the outcome for your business at all. Um, so that's my thoughts on, on channel growth. When it comes exactly. to sort of sales channels, we talked a lot about how a company is funded and capitalized. And I think a lot of teams tend to look at that on an annual basis, right? How did you track towards your financial goals this year? What are your financial projections next year? What kind of funding do you need in order to hit that? I think year end uh, for a company is a really good time to think about that because if you are going to make an effort to start dipping your toes into some of these areas, it should be a strategic priority for your business. Um, yes, you can run micro tests. We talked about, you know, going to some small mom and pop shops and maybe that doesn't need to be a strategic priority, but if wholesale and retail is something that you really want to crack or you want to start selling on Amazon or, you know, if there's a sales channel that you think is imperative to your, your business's growth, making it a strategic priority at your sort of annual strategy session and, and aligning your entire executive team and then, you know, relaying that top down throughout the organization. That's really important because everyone does have to be on board with that strategy. You are, we've talked about the synergies. The downside is you're fragmenting the work of all of your team members across multiple channels, right? And that is a risk, um, especially when you're a smaller team and you don't necessarily have the volume of people to uh, satisfy all those channels. You have to be very conscious and intentional about what that fragmentation does to your business. And so aligning everyone and making that a strategic priority and sort of, um, enabling everyone to think about how the two work hand in hand and how you start to divide your work and find um, economies of scale and automation and processes that work across both. That's really, really important for the success of, of that expansion. Cool. Yeah. Uh, no, I like the risk. Uh, there's, it's not all uh, sunshine and rainbows and it's like, oh, just do this and it'll work. Like, no, there's definitely uh, trade-offs and risks involved in, in anything you do in business. So for sure. Uh, good, good calling those out. Um, so we uh, talked about the end of the year, like next year, kind of, it's a good time for the sales channels, marketing channels and growth channels can be always on and always like kind of making sure that you're evaluating those as you go. So, uh, for it's already, you know, obviously already passed, but black Friday just happened. Is that a, a big event like that or any holidays or promotions? Is there a way to kind of manage those across your sales channels? Is it like uh, any advice or any tips or anything you've learned? Um, I know you guys kind of opt out of uh, Black Friday in the traditional sense. You have your uh, giving, uh, your give back, and you like you donate all the proceeds to building, um, is it schools uh, in yeah, yeah, other countries? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like any, is it any like, maybe not specifically for cotton, but um, anything that you've learned and is there a spike of wholesale orders? Is it like anything to worry about or to think, keep in mind for like next year? Yeah. Um, so um, for the holidays on, on our B2B side, uh, because a lot of our wholesale business debt does tend to be for use for corporate swag, things do get really busy around November, December. Everyone wants to do a holiday gift, you know, maybe you have a party coming up. Um, so things do tend to spike around there. What we've learned in the past is when we get really busy, uh, our decorator partners, the ones screen printing and embroidering the products um, that we partner with for them, they they get even more swamped than we do, right? Um, and so what we've gotten a lot better at is, is working with them on timelines to ensure that when a customer does need something ahead of Christmas or, uh, or the holidays or the new year, um, we're able to facilitate those, those projects in a way that, that works really well. 
Um, things will start to slow down because we're going to hit that, that timeline where decorators just can't take our projects anymore. Um, we can't get our, our blanks uh, customized. And so things will start to, to slow down a bit and we'll, we'll start looking into next year. On the, uh, on the retail side, though, for sure. I mean, we, um, even though we, we don't run a sale um, through Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and uh, like you said, 100% of our proceeds go towards building schools in Egypt, which after this past campaign, we're up to uh, building and, and maintaining 18 schools in Egypt, which is pretty amazing. Um, that's our big campaign, but we're also an apparel company and um, you know we do run seasonal sales twice a year. Uh, which I believe is is gearing up in a couple of weeks. It, it might be passed by the time this launches, but um, <laughs> yeah, certainly we're not. I mean, as much as we try and do good, I don't think any company is immune from from doing sales. There's definitely a, a value to that. Um, running sales enables you to move through your inventory a lot faster, and um, because of the seasonal nature of our product as well, um, it yep. is a necessity. Uh, yeah. Cool. No, it makes a lot of sense. So. Uh... Uh, just about wrapping up here, Dan, is there uh, anything top of mind that you've seen discourse on the internets, on the Twitters, uh, your experience the last uh, holiday season as we wrap up for another year that you've been doing this for quite a while? Anything burning top of your mind that you want to kind of end end with here? Oh, man, we could do a whole other podcast on what uh, what's keeping me up at night and in top of mind. But um, what I will say is I think a lot of what, you hear and see related to e-com and D2C is chalked up as growth is actually media buying and, uh, and advertising. And don't get me wrong. Like I, I'm a media buyer by trade. That's how I, I cut my teeth in the industry. You know, I, I was buying on Facebook and AdWords and, and scaling that way. That's all well and good, but having the benefit of now zooming out and looking at our business, not just from like a growth and performance standpoint, but across, supply chain and pricing and logistics and merchandising um, growth comes in all shapes and sizes. And so as a founder or even, even a growth person that is doing uh, media buying, it's like, yes, take that stuff seriously, but also don't take it too seriously and start to think about your, your other parts of your business and how you can leverage that. Um, because there really is a lot of different ways a company can grow, right? Like we talked about a few of them today. If you're a company that's specifically just focused on on improving your ads on Facebook, which you should be doing if Facebook's a huge channel for you, that's great. But you're also missing the growth of potentially putting that energy into different sales channels or unlocking a new marketing channel. So that that's what I think there's a lack of is, is sort of discord around what true growth is. Um, it pains me a little bit where, you know, because I identify as a growth marketer, people just think of ads and, and paid media. And the reality is it can be so much more than that. It's just on folks that do think about problems with a growth mindset to say, hey, like, I want the box to be a little bit bigger. I want to think about constraints, not just at a channel level, but at an organization level, right? Like enable your team to think about how your finance is a constraint, what you're like, what, where you're selling through, what your pricing strategy is, how you're merchandising your product. You're going to get much better growth people when you do that. Um, you're going to allow them to think of ideas that aren't just confined to channel tests. So, um, yeah, I'll leave you with that. I won't go uh, any further on that. Yeah, no, I uh, appreciate it. Uh, uh, very similarly, media buyer first, learning other parts of growth uh, now as uh, in my role. So uh, very relatable. And then seeing how it's all connected. It's like, oh, maybe my one Facebook ad isn't why this business is successful. It's uh, just kind of like being like, I don't know, 
you see the numbers and it's money in, money out. And you're like, that's where it seems like it's so important. And marketers are often the loudest, uh, yeah. no surprise about <laughs> their job and their success and how they get clients or how they get consulting or sponsorships and all this other stuff. So it's kind of a, kind of an interesting game. So yeah, great, great way to wrap up there, Dan. Um, so anything that you want to plug anyone you want to point people to if they want to check out cotton, they want to book a session of growth mentors with you, oh just my talk, God. Uh, yeah. talk shop with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, plugs. Twitter's <laughs> the easiest way to find me. You can find me at growing gray, uh, spelled the, uh, the American way G R A Y. Um, you can find me there. If you're looking to make swag through one of the world's most, most ethical and sustainable supply chains, uh, you want to create custom sweatshirts, t-shirts, hoodies, beanies. Uh, what have you, um, you can find us at cotton.supply. That's spelled K-O-T-N. Uh, but other than that, thank you so much for having me, Matt. I mean, uh, you are uh, are definitely a huge part of my D2C Twitter experience. And uh, it's been awesome following your journey. So just to be a part of it today has is, is been really, uh, really awesome. Ah, oh, dude, thanks for saying that. Really appreciate it. Um, brings a smile to my face for those that are not on video on YouTube right now. So it uh, means a lot, Dan. This is great to chat, great to jam. Uh, go check out Cotton, Cotton.Supply, Growing Gray. Those will all be down in the show notes and plugged on the social posts and clips. Thanks again, Dan, and everyone else for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in for another episode, and we'll catch you on the next one. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I love being able to do this, continue to learn, and meet people in this industry. Every rating, review, and episode you share with a friend means so much to me as I'm bootstrapping this show as part of my media brand, High Key Geek. If you haven't checked out my other show, Brand Builders, you should. It's with myself and Tom Brown and Richie Mashiko. Two times a week, we talk in a much more casual setting, and we think out loud, we brainstorm, and we share our lessons as we continue to operate and run businesses in the DTC space today. We're not, we didn't exit, we didn't just consult and advise now, and we don't, we're in the trenches as we, like every day still. So we're learning in real time and sharing it with you as we go. That's Brand Builders on High Key Geek YouTube, Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Catch you next time.